Welcome to Mayflower Church's live stream worship service. We are glad you are here. Thank you, Jackson. Yes, we are thrilled to have you joining us from wherever you are. We are grateful to be united in spirit as we worship the Lord together this morning. I am Reverend Ruth Bell Olson, your interim associate pastor, and I am joined by Pat McGuire, who is our live stream engineer, Scott Bosher, our choir director, Carol McNally, our guest organist, Rachel Cooley, a member of our Christian education team, who is serving this morning as our liturgist, and Jackson Cooley, who's going to be our youth cantor. We also have a very special guest with us today, as you have just witnessed, Allison Reese, a harpist with the Grand Rapids Symphony. As you can see, we have some different worship participants today. The Reverend Dr. Jonathan White is taking a few days to plan for our fall and winter worship. And Dr. Julia Brown was called out of town to be with a grieving friend. So please remember Julia as she is traveling. And also, please hold Patsy Krause and the Krause family in your prayers as Jack Krause, a longtime member of Mayflower, passed away this week. So even though the church building remains closed, we are still engaged in ministry of all kinds. Please read through our news emails and check our website for updates on different ministry activities happening throughout the week. As a note tonight, Elevate is on high school at 6 and middle school at 7, but there will be no jamming with Josh. So also please be sure to remind your friends and neighbors about our Sunday live stream services. Next week, we will be both online and outside. For World Communion Sunday, we will have our live stream service at the usual time, and then at noon, we will be offering an outdoor communion service on our front lawn. Please bring your own elements and plan on participating with us and the whole world in the celebration of the Eucharist. So speaking of celebration, let us now begin our service with a heart of joy and our call to worship, which is from Psalm 78. Give ear, O my people, the teaching of the Lord. Listen to the words of the Holy One. God speaks in the metaphor of parable. The Lord will utter dark sayings from of old, things that we have heard and known that our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their children. We will tell them to the coming generation, the glorious deeds of the Lord, of the Holy One's might, and the wonders that God has done. Servants of God, your master proclaim and publish abroad his wonderful name, the name of victorious, of Jesus extolled. His kingdom is glorious, he rules over all. 
God ruleth on high, almighty to save, and still he is nigh, his presence we have. The great congregation his triumph shall sing, ascribing salvation to Jesus our King. Then let us adore and give him his right, all glory and power, all wisdom and might, all honor and blessings with angels above, and thanks never ceasing and infinite love. Amen. Please join me in our opening prayer. Let us pray. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Be mindful of your mercy, O Lord, and of your steadfast love. For they have been from old. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to your steadfast love, remember me. For your goodness sake, O Lord. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore, the Holy One instructs sinners in the way. Amen. Our first scripture reading today comes from Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 through 32. When he entered the temple, the chief priests and the elders of the people came to him as he was teaching. And they said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? Jesus said to them, I will also ask you one question. If you tell me the answer... Then I will also tell you by what authority I do these things. Did the baptism of John come from heaven, or was it of human origin? And they argued amongst one another. If we say from heaven, he will say to us, why then do you not believe him? But if we say of human origin, we are afraid of the crowd, for all regard John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus, we do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority that I am doing these things. What do you think? 
A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, Son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and he went. The father went to the second, said the same, and he answered, I will go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said the first. Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going to go into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him, and even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. Spirit dwell with me, I myself would gracious be, and with words that help and heal, would thy life in mine reveal, and with actions bold and meek, would for Christ my Savior speak. Truthful Spirit dwell with me, I myself would truthful be, and with wisdom kind and clear, let thy life in mine and with actions brotherly, speak the Lord's sincerity. Amen. Our second scripture reading today comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, any consolation from love, any sharing in the Spirit, any compassion and sympathy, make my joy complete. Be of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and in one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Please pray with me. Lord, here we are again. We live in these strange, strange times and are worshiping here physically in a sanctuary and virtually who knows where. Part of our worship is to call out to each other, 
to be unified despite our distance and our differences. So we pray for unity now. We pray for a sense of solidarity and a spirit of presence. May you remind us of your way. Jesus lived life a certain way, and we are to emulate this in our time and our place. So help us to do this. Help us to follow and to bear light to one another. Amen. I'm going to describe a couple of common scenarios, and I want you to think about how you feel as I describe the actions of these narratives. Scenario one, which may or may not be a personal one. You are leaving your home for the day, and the grass is way too long and unruly. You ask your child to mow the grass while you are gone. Your child responds with, sure. You are relieved because the yard is beginning to look like you have abandoned your home. When evening comes and you turn the corner onto your street, you immediately notice that not only is the grass not cut, it's even longer, and your home looks even more deserted. How do you feel? How do you feel about your child? Now, how about this? You're leaving your home for the day, and the grass is way too long and unruly. You ask your child to mow the grass while you are gone. The response you get is, I can't, I'm busy today. You are stressed about the length of the lawn, but resolve that when you get home later, you will have to deal with it. When evening comes and you turn the corner onto your street, you immediately notice that not only is your child in the last stretch of cutting the grass, the lawn is meticulous. And your home has a fresh and inviting look. How do you feel? How do you feel about your child? Scenario two. You are leaving on a trip and there is a large bill that needs to be paid by Friday. You ask a coworker or a spouse to take care of it. The coworker says, yes, I will make sure that check gets sent. On Monday, you notice you get a notice of late payment and have to scramble to get the money plus the late fee to its proper destination. How do you feel? How do you feel about your coworker? Now, you are leaving on a trip and there's a large bill that needs to be paid by Friday. You ask a coworker to take care of it. The coworker or spouse says, There is no way I can take care of this by Friday. We'll just have to pay the late fee. On Monday, you check to see how much the late fee is, only to notice the bill was paid in full and on time by your coworker. Ah, how do you feel? How do you feel about your coworker? These are simple scenarios, and you can probably think of many others like them. What did you feel in those first examples when the grass is long and the late fee is accumulated? Do you feel disappointment, anger, confusion, lied to, really let down? What emotions did you experience in the second set of examples with a well-groomed lawn and a bill taken care of? Surprise? Relief? Elation? Did you feel valued and seen? Isn't it interesting how examples like these have such an emotional response? 
When someone says they will do something, it really matters as to whether or not they do it. And conversely, when you have no expectations and someone comes through anyway, it's surprising how good that makes us feel. We could sum this up by saying something like, actions speak louder than words. But is it that simple? How do these examples connect with our scripture this morning from the book of Matthew? The parable Jesus tells is of a father who owns a vineyard. He asks his two sons to work for him. One says no, but changes his mind and goes to work. The other says yes, but never goes to work. Why did Jesus tell this parable, and who was he telling it to? At the beginning of our passage from Matthew, we see Jesus teaching in the temple courts when he's approached by the scribal elite, the chief priests and elders. They confront him. Why? Backing up to earlier in the 21st chapter of Matthew, that is when Jesus cleanses the temple and overturns the tables of the money changers, declaring that his house shall be a house of prayer for all. He then proceeds to heal the blind and the lame. So these chief priests and elders are curious as to who granted him the authority to do such things, i.e., who does he think he is? Now, it's no secret that the crowds had been calling Jesus the son of David, and the religious leaders would have known that this is a reference to the scripture that states a royal Messiah was to come from the line of David. The chief priests and elders want to discredit Jesus, and because they believe that they hold the religious authority, they take the opportunity to publicly question Jesus. Because, see, Jesus is an uncredentialed rabbi, So they probably figure they can expose his lack of authority to the crowd and in so doing, maintain their power. Hmm, this is an interesting distinction, the one between power and authority. How we use our power and how we hold our authority are important. By definition, power is an entity's or individual's ability to control or direct others. German sociologist Max Weber said that power is the ability to exercise one's will over others. Another way to state this is power is defined as the ability or potential of an individual to influence others and control their actions. Power and control are interesting partners. Authority, on the other hand, is defined as the legal and formal right to give orders and commands and make decisions. Authority refers to accepted power, that is, power that people agree to follow according to specific procedures. People listen to authority figures because they feel that these individuals are worthy of respect or because they are in a position that inherently carries a degree of respect. So power is necessary for authority, but it's possible to have power without authority. When the priests and elders question Jesus, by what authority are you doing these things? Who gave you this authority? Were they really interested in the answer? Is it authority or is it power that they sought? And notice that they didn't ask why Jesus cleansed the temple or performed his miracle. This question of proper authority was really important for the Jews of the day They maintained that they were God's chosen people, 
They had to be subjects of Roman overlords, but they did not believe that the Romans had the right to govern them. The layers of Jewish religious leaders were thought to be the ones truly in power. But goodness, people like John the Baptist and Jesus, they just made a mess of this intricate system. They were not a military force like the Romans, and they did not have the official stamp of approval as rabbis of esteem. So why did the crowds follow them? What authority did they have? When questioned, Jesus implicitly criticizes them for not recognizing John the Baptist and his ministry as being from heaven. And since John the Baptist was the one who prepared the way for Jesus, Jesus is also implicitly criticizing them for not recognizing Jesus' same divine origin. Being authorized from heaven expresses God's own intentions or as means by which someone might glimpse God and God's priorities for the world. So Jesus tells his parable of the father and the two sons after this exchange. After he has exposed these particular religious leaders as unable or unwilling to grasp how God might be knowable or even at work in other places or in other ways. New Testament scholar Matthew Skinner writes, Because if God is active or discoverable in the efforts of someone like John, a wild-eyed, long-toiling prophet who sets up camp in the wilderness, calling for a new world to come into being, a world marked by justice, changed lives, and a recognition that God intends for more than just the continuation of an ongoing and corrosive status quo. Then perhaps people who care about religious language, symbols, practices, and truth claims should be curious people, bent on keeping their eyes open for ways in which God might be made known or ways in which the purposes of God might be expressed. In other words, Saying yes to God should lead a person to say yes to looking for God and yes to getting engaged in God's business, the business of seeing to the flourishing of justice, peace, reconciliation, security, restoration, and forgiveness. Is this what it means to work in the vineyard? Remember, Jesus' audience, he's telling this parable to the scribal elite, this story of two sons. Stories of two sons are all over the Bible. Cain and Abel, Ishmael and Isaac, Jacob and Esau. So Jesus' audience would have been primed for this. They would have been ready for a lesson where one brother is right and one brother is wrong. So in this parable, there's a twist. Both sons are asked to work in the vineyard. One says yes and doesn't go. One says no and goes anyway. In a sense, both sons are at fault, aren't they? Or are they? Following Jesus' question to listeners in Matthew 21, verse 31, which of the two did what his father wanted, Matthew has Jesus give an explanation of the parable. It's confusing because while the parable focuses on doing as well as saying The explanation focuses on believing John the Baptist. The religious leader's lack of belief in John is contrasted with the positive response 
of tax collectors and prostitutes to his teaching. The point is that the religious leaders who should most exemplify uprightness do not believe, while those who are thought to be unrighteous do believe, and so enter God's kingdom. But why does Jesus praise tax collectors and prostitutes? Perhaps because the religious leaders of the day regarded the tax gatherers and prostitutes as the absolute worst members of society, the bottom of the barrel. The tax collectors were considered traitors to their own people, pawns of the Romans, and the prostitutes were the epitome of immorality. These two groups represented to the self-righteous religious leaders those most unlikely to receive God's mercy. And here, Jesus responds in his lavish love and grace. The tax collectors and prostitutes appear to not say yes to God, yet they actually have. By responding to John the Baptist and to Jesus, they have found their place in the kingdom of heaven. They have found work to do in the vineyard. They have gone where God is. The tax gatherers and prostitutes were nearer the kingdom more than the chief priests and elders, not because they were inherently more righteous or acceptable to God, but because they were more ready to acknowledge their need for God's grace. Claiming to be religious is not nearly as important to God as some may think it is. Claiming to be religious is not the key to the entrance to the kingdom of heaven. This is not a new theme with Jesus. Earlier in the book of Matthew, chapter 7, verse 21, Jesus teaches, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who do the will of the Father. What you do, not what you say, reveals what you believe. What you do not what you say, reveals what you believe. Show me, don't tell me. If you and I believe that God's business is the business of seeing to the flourishing of justice, peace, reconciliation, restoration, and forgiveness, then others will watch us engaging in this divine commerce. But what does authority have to do with this? Didn't we begin this passage in Matthew with a question about authority? If we look at the word authority, we see the word author embedded in it. According to Brooke Warner, a publisher, coach, and author, the fact that authority and author share the same root is a given in publishing circles. To become an author, you should have authority in your subject. And those with authority often write books. The trajectory of authorship goes like this. You work to become an expert in a particular topic. You author articles and books. The more you publish, the more you embody the very definition of authority. The confident quality of someone who knows a lot about something. The author has authority because the author knows the subject well, has expertise. If we look at the book of Hebrews, chapter 12, verse 2, it reads, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. 
if Jesus is the author and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is an authority on the subject of our faith. Jesus knows a lot about faith. Through Jesus, our faith gets perfected and has authority. One writer put it this way, We assume that authority comes from outside a person and it's given to them by their circumstances. In this understanding, some have authority and some do not. True authority always comes from within. It is an interior, God-given quality, not an exterior circumstance. That's what the chief priests and elders failed to understand. That's why Jesus was always so aggravated with the religious leaders. They chose to exchange their God-given authority for human power. Sometimes we do, too. That's what's happening in much of our world today. In the exercise of power, we look to our own interests. But in the exercise of authority, we look to the interests of others. When Paul wrote from prison to the Christians in Philippi, he wrote the passage Rachel read this morning about imitating Christ and being like-minded and also looking not to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Think about the people who hold authority for you. They are not concerned about themselves. They do not dominate or control you. They inspire you. They call forth from you faith, hope, and trust. They expand your world, open new possibilities, and bring forth life and gifts in yourself that you never knew were there. They cause you to reevaluate your life, change your mind, and live differently. That sounds an awful lot like Jesus, and it's very different from those who exercise power. We are given all kinds of opportunities to exercise our authority and do the business of God. The business of seeing to the flourishing of justice, peace, reconciliation, restoration, and forgiveness. If you have not exercised this authority, guess what? You can change your mind. The one son changed his mind. The tax collectors and prostitutes changed their minds. The door is open to the kingdom of heaven for all. There is work in the vineyard for everyone. And do you know how this feels? Perhaps a bit like a nicely mowed lawn and a promptly paid bill. In the name of the creator, redeemer, and sustainer, amen. We welcome three guest musicians this morning to worship at Mayflower Church. Harpist Allison Reese of the Grand Rapids Symphony, organist Carol McNally, and representing the youth of our church, our own Jackson Cooley. What a blessing music is in helping us bridge heaven and earth as we come together to worship. And so we thank Allison, Carol, and Jackson for helping us this morning to express our hearts and our inner thoughts before God. Today's special offering is a harp transcription of what is perhaps Claude Debussy's most loved composition, Claire de Lune. 
Light of the Moon. Inspired by Verlaine's poem of the same name, Verlaine expressed that the soul is a delicate landscape. And Debussy captures that idea so beautifully in sound. From the first flicker of moonlight, there's ambiguity. Debussy avoided traditional major and minor keys in his music, and without fully eliminating traditional tonal centers, he utilized the whole tone scale and avoided conventions of harmonic and rhythmic development. When Debussy was asked what rule he followed in composing, he said, Mon plaisir, my pleasure. Let us now continue to worship as we remember our tithes and offerings.
God of new life. Out of the abundance of our lives, we offer these gifts to you. Through your blessing and our willingness to share, may these offerings become a source of hope and love in this church family and in the community beyond us. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. As we enter this time of prayer, let us remember the family of Jack Krause as they mourn his passing. We will keep them close in our hearts. Let us pray. Lord, may we go beyond the yard signs and the book clubs to find real ways to be in community with those who continue to be placed second due to their race, socioeconomics, or other differences that do not allow them the freedoms and the privileges that we so often take for granted. May we stop and truly listen to others who have different stories than ours and meet them where they are, not where we think they should be. To be brave and to challenge our own stories to see if they match your truth. And if they don't, May we be willing to change our ways of prioritizing and giving of our time, talents, and treasures so that someday we can walk with a widow who gave the might. It was not out of abundance that she gave. It was all that she had. That is the picture of sacrificial love and obedience to God's commands to love others as we love ourselves that we should strive for each and every day. May we truly believe that God blesses us so that we can have the opportunity to turn around and bless others. The blessings are not meant to stop with us or even to stay with us and be stored up. They are meant to be passed on and multiplied as they go. As we continue to face daily challenges that the pandemic has placed in our lives and the world around us, Holy Spirit, open our eyes to see what we are to learn and change and grow from these times. May we not just wait for it all to pass. May we emerge as new creations who are constantly seeking out ways to be your hands and feet with each person we meet. May the cashier at the grocery store experience you through our spoken gratitude for the hard work they put forth each day. May the waitress experience you through our generosity as we tip more than we normally would. And may the garbage men feel your joy through the six-pack of Coca-Cola that we have left for them because we appreciate all that they do. May we start there and continue on as you lead and guide us 
to make this world a bit more like heaven with each step of our days. God, may we be a people who do. Come now, Prince of Peace, make us one body. Come, O Lord Jesus, reconcile all people. And now hear us as we pray together with one voice. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. God, you spin the whirling planets, fill the seas and spread the plains. Hold the mountains, fashion blossoms, call for sunshine, wind and rain. We created in your image, would a true reflection be of your justice, grace and mercy, and the truth that makes us free. You have called us to be faithful in our life and ministry. We respond in grateful worship, joined in one community. When we blow your gracious image, Focus us and make us whole, healed and strengthened as your people. We move onward toward your goal. God, your will is still creating, calling us to life made new. Now reveal to us fresh business where there's work to dare to do. Keep us clear of all distortion, fashion us with loving care. Thus new creatures in your image will proclaim Christ everywhere. 
As you go forth today, empowered with your God-given authority, may you seek not your own interests, but the interests of others. And in so doing, may you find that there is glorious work to be done in the vineyard of God. May you remember now and always that God's love knows no bounds, and you are always held in the embrace of the Almighty. Amen.